Just a quick question. How many of you know your neighbors personally uh, next door? Quite a few of you. That's great. Um, if you have your Bibles with you this uh, morning, Matthew 22, verses 34 uh, to 40, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he has silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, so a, a smart man, a man that knew the law well, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these um, two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I'm going to ask you a question, but it's rhetorical, so you don't need to put your hand up or, or nod or anything along those lines. But um, how many of you believe that God has placed you in, in your situation that you're currently in, in your home, in your work, in your play? He has intentionally placed you there. Um, great. And, I, and, he, and he has, and I think that's important for us to get. Um, it's scriptural. God is in control. He has intentionally put us where we are meant to be for um, certain particular reasons. He has certain people in mind. And that even means God has placed your neighbor next to you, your physical neighbor next to you, with you having intentional work for you to do in their life. Uh, so maybe put it like this God is so confident in the gospel in the work of the gospel and the work of the gospel in you, that he wants you to do a work with your neighbor. Now, the word neighbor is an interesting one, and it's a great one. When we think of neighbor, often we think of the person that is next door to us. So if you live at number 10, number 8, and number 12 would be your physical address neighbor. But when we see the word neighbor used in scripture, man, it has got a far bigger idea and uh, a meaning to it than just our physical neighbor. We see Jesus is asked in another a story in the gospel, who is my neighbor? And he goes and tells the uh, story that a lot of us know of the Good Samaritan. There's a, there's a Jew that's beaten up. He's on his way down the road and the thieves come and beat him up and take all that he owns. And uh, as he lies there helpless, uh, a Jew, another Jew walks past and he just walks past and, and does not help him. Then a priest comes. I mean, here's your hope. The pastor down the road is walking by, but as he sees the man beaten up, he takes a distance. He takes a, a long way around, making sure he doesn't get too close. And then a Samaritan arrives, a, a man who, for a Jew, would, they would have never had conversation with. They would have never enjoyed supper with each other. They would have never, ever acknowledged one another. They disliked each other. The Samaritan stops binds up his wounds, puts him on the, his donkey, takes him to an inn and makes sure he's okay. And Jesus says, this is your neighbor. And so when we think of neighbor, the word neighbor has such a broader understanding than we in our culture would understand. It's someone who we meet with on a regular basis or bump into or, or someone who's in our vicinity. Uh, it could be a colleague at work. Um, and uh, it could be uh, people you work with. It could be uh, something even maybe less uh, of a close relationship, like that shop you go to all the time and you just happen to bump into a similar teller regularly. She could be a neighbor, or the petrol attendant that puts in your, your petrol, or someone you bump into in the road. They are our neighbors. And, and that's great because as we start to look at this idea of loving out, 
of telling the world about Christ, there comes a bit of comfort with the fact that the command in which we are meant to do is just to love our neighbor, to, to just tell our neighbor about Jesus. Because there can be this overwhelming sense that we need to go and change the world. Uh, we th- just have to look on social media or look, uh, listen to the news or pick up the newspaper and you see that the world is in dire strait and it can be overwhelming to think, man, I need to change all of that. But really, for, for us, what we are called to do, you know, God has put you where you are in your situation for the now so that you might change the people around you, that you might show them the love of Christ that you might share the gospel with them. And that brings a bit of comfort for us, knowing that we just need to enjoy where we are. And, and maybe that we can bring you some relief. You might be thinking, man, I'm at this stage of my life. I thought I would be here, but God has kept me in this. Why, Lord? Well, man, he's got a work for you to do. He's got something for you to do in the situation you currently find yourself in. And there's also this call that comes with this word neighbor of authenticity, to be authentic. Because it's easy to arrive on Sunday, right, and to put on a, a good a shirt. I love Gary's shirt. It looks very similar to mine. And you put on our, our best shirt and nice clothes and come and act and smile and put on a face for an hour and a half, two hours. We have coffee outside, we leave. But this call to love our neighbor means, man, we have to do it in every aspect of our lives. This loving is this call to do it at work, do it at play on the sports field, where it gets competitive. It's to, do it, it's to do it in every aspect. And so this is this call to authenticity. It's not this holier-than-now kind of group mentality. Man, we do it everywhere for the glory of Christ. That's what we are called to do. And we've just finished our series, um, a finished part of our series called of Loving In, Building Committed Community. And we mainly spoke about in here, there's this element that we are called to do of sacrificial love for one another. We need to love each other with the sacrificial love. And it's this tough and difficult call. But yeah, there is this warning for us that we mustn't only be a people that focus inwardly, but we need to be a people that focus outwardly. That we can get too caught up with the loving up and loving in that we don't realize that we are to love out. And, and sacrificial love for one another is actually spurring us together to men. Men, no, what God has called us to do is we are to love out. Come on, let's do it. It's part of our love for one another to spur each other on to loving out and doing it unashamedly. But there's a massive opportunity that we have to love out. Uh, I heard an interesting statistic um, is that in America, the wealthiest nation in the world who have the most gadgets and stuff, that up to, depending on which study you look at, up to half to two-thirds of the people in America suffer with loneliness. Lonely. People are lonely. And People are desperate for companionship. People are desperate to have relationships, friends, people they can know. And this, and this is brilliant for the gospel because it calls us to come and love them, to come and be companions, to treat them well, to come and be a friend. And that's what we call to do. And they need it. And some more statistics, you know that loneliness can bring, uh, can increase the risk of early mortality up to... 
Hey, 26%. That's put that into a connection. That is, if you started smoking 15 cigarettes a day, that's the same, same damage it can do to you. People are desperate for companionship. And there are new people constantly coming into neighborhoods. I mean, you just have to walk out of our driveway here at church and look across the road. There's a for sale sign. And if you head up Sunningdale and then you turn down on your first right, you see more for sale signs. This, this suburb is littered with for sale signs. And what that means is that people are going to buy these houses and are going to be moving in with no companions and no friends. Looking for more. Man, there is a massive opportunity for us and the gospel to love those and love others and share the gospel with them because, man, they need it. And they want it. They desperately, desperately want it. But we cannot do that if we don't know him. And so a good place to start is to find out what their names are, to figure out who, who they are, and that's when we start to build a genuine relationship so we can share the gospel. But what does it mean to love out this? Uh, a brilliant quote by a guy named John Piper. He writes quite a lot on this idea. He, he wrote a book on loving the nations and pursuing after them and, and loving our neighbor. And he, he wrote this incredible quote. It's pretty graphic. I, I'm gonna, I'll give you a, a pre-warning. But listen to it. It's incredible to show what does it mean to love our neighbor. He says this. I tear, <laughs> I warn you, I tear the skin off my own body and wrap it around the other person so that I feel I am that other person. The longings that I have for my own safety, health, success, and happiness, now I feel for that other person as though it were myself. He's saying, man, I, it's like if I would take off my skin and wrap it around Mark so that Mark looks like me. So that as I look at him, I see, man, here is a guy that I want to have the same success that I want for myself, the same health that I want for myself, the same prosperity, the same life, the same love that I want for myself. Man, I want it for Mark, and I, I give myself to it. That's what we are called to do. That's what we mean by loving our neighbor is to love them as ourselves and as we were looking at them and seeing ourselves. That's what Christ calls us to do. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at these two commandments and see how they spur us on to grow our hearts in love for other people. And the first one is this. The, the first thing that we need to know is that this kind of loving is a mark of um, spirituality. It's a good way to test if our love for God is growing well. Because I want you to notice here that when the lawyer comes to Jesus to test him, he asks for how many commandments? He asks for one, right? Or at least it's alluded to. What is the greatest? What is the one commandment? And Jesus goes, well, the, f the greatest commandment, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he goes, but the second is like it. And is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what we've got to realize is that these two commandments are inseparable. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, are they, these two commandments, you can't separate them. They are tightly interwoven and linked together. And so if we as, as Christians are wanting to know, am I growing in my relationship with the Lord? Is my love for him expanding? Then I need to look at myself and go, well, is my love for people growing? Is that expanding? 
Because that's a great indicator for us to know that. Because the more I get to know God, the more I become like Him, the more I experience His love, the more I grow in my love, that His love that He has for people. And so I start to love people as well. Does that make sense? And so it's important for us to understand that these two commandments are inseparable. We cannot take them apart from one another whatsoever. They, they are stuck together. And again, I, I, we have the tendency to focus too much on loving up and loving in that we never get to a point of loving out. But if we are to love God to the full extent, if we are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we are to even come close to achieving that, it needs to include the love of our neighbors, the love of others, sharing the gospel telling them about Christ, feeding them, doing all the things that we need to do. That's what it's called to do. And, and, and you can see it like this because Jesus says the second is like it. It's like it. The second commandment is an expression of the very first commandments that Christ gave. And, if it's, and this needs to become our motive to do it. The me wanting more of God, me wanting to experience Him more, me wanting to love Him needs to be the motive of me loving my neighbor. Why is that? Because if that is not our motive, then what is? Because the call to love here is not just love those we like. It's not. I, it's, this scripture alludes that it's easy to love people we like, Right? <laughs> It's easy to love your boss that pays you lots of money and treats you well, but it's a whole lot harder to the one that doesn't want to pay you overtime and doesn't want to give you leave. It's a whole lot more difficult to do that. It's a whole lot more difficult to love those that have different views on life, different political situations that look different to you, that have different morals. Man, it's a whole lot harder to do that. And the call here is not just to love those who look like us. No, the call is to love like the Samaritan who would love the Jew that did not treat him well or would not have. That's the call. And so, so what would then is our motive? Man, God. That's our motive for wanting to love the Man, do I want more of God? Of course. I, I want to experience him more. I want to know the, the fullness of joy in which Mark was talking about. I want, to, I want to know the riches that are at his right hand. I want to experience it. I've only just tasted a part of it. And so for me to do that, man, how well am I loving? And, and if it means I must love others so that I might get more of him, man, so I do it. It becomes a, a, a thing that I do. <laughs> it motivates me. It pushes me outside my comfort zone. It asks me to do things that are difficult. To speak to that neighbor that plays their loud music regularly and say, hey, how are you? It calls me into places that I wouldn't because I want more of God. That's ultimately it. And you might say, Joe, man, this is tough. <laughs> you don't know my neighbor. You don't know my colleagues, you don't know that lady that I, I run with, or, or whatever the case might be. You don't know them. This is a tough thing you've called me. But I, friends, I want to remind you again, this is a view of the gospel. Now I want to remind you that Christ left his home, left glory in heaven and came to our home, earth, because of his love for you. He reached out. 
vastly different to him. Holy, glorious, wonderful, deserving of all praise are wretched sinners that we are, yet Christ would come to us. Man, that's, that's love. He came to forgive. He came to give himself. He came to serve them. He came to serve us and love us. Christ did it. It is the call of the gospel, and it's exactly what Christ has done on our hearts. And so just crossing the road or, or going to that other office or being kind, those things in which we struggle with, with certain people is far less than what Christ has done, but it's a small little picture of what he has done for us. And so we do it. It's there. And this is why, and this actually, the second commandment is an expression of God himself. It's a very expression of his heart. This is why Jesus says right at the end, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. You're wanting to know what this book is all about. It's so that we might love God and that we might love others for the glory of God. This is, as Jesus says, you want to know the law, you want to know the prophets, you want to know how it's summed up, it's in these two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we are called to do. But there's also, a, what we see in these commandments is, and I must warn us that there's a priority in these commandments. There's a commandment, the first commandment is better or more important than the second. And hear what I say here, because I might have worded that wrong. While these two commandments are inseparable, the first commandment always comes first, as silly as that sounds. There are going to be moments, if you do this, and you decide you're going to pursue after God in this and be obedient, there are going to be moments in your life where you are loving others and you are going to come in a crossroads. Am I going to follow them or am I going to follow God? It's going to be with a neighbor that you've over months built relationships with. And as you sit down in their, in their house, they turn on a, a movie that has explicit uh, stuff that you should not be watching. Are you going to go, guys, I cannot watch this? Or out of wanting approval and friendship, are you going to stick around? There's going to be crossroads that come. And this is what the, well, I, I, we have these discussions with, with young adults on a regular basis. But I love her. She loves me. So it's fine. No, 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 friends. We are called first to be obedient to God. And the danger is do not cross the aisle to go and love your neighbor and go into a place where it's sinful and you disobey God. The call, it's no good to your neighbor either. It's no good to your neighbor. To love him like Christ loved them does not mean that you have to go and live the lifestyle that they have taken on. You can love them for the glory of Christ and do it well. It's a danger that we can fall into this trap of, man, I need to, I need to do this so that they might come to know Jesus. No, no, no. Obey God. Love him first. Then love your neighbor out of that. It's a, it flows out of your love for God. It's an act of worship to God that you love them, not the other way around. And this is why it brings a bit of a paradox. The call to love out brings us much joy. It brings us joy because, man, as we do this, man, are we obedient to God. We get to experience more of his love that he has. We become more like him in loving out. There's this joy, but, man, it can be sacrificial as well because as you do it, you might, you will. And let me, let me, let me make this clear. You will 
suffer rejection. You will suffer. I don't need any of that. It's still the call to love is still there, but you're going to have hard times in doing it. I remember in my, in my um, third year of studies, I had this uh, subject called contextualization, which is pretty much evangelism. That's what we, we had to learn how to, to do that. And I'd taken six subjects that year. You only had to take five. And once, and I saw contextualization was going to be by my favorite lecturer, Ronnie Davis. I love him. He had a major impact on my life. Best lecturer out of the whole lot. So I always took his subjects, regardless of what it was. I didn't even look it up. And I remember sitting down in the first class and hearing it was about evangelism. And if we wanted to get full marks or get an A, you had to witness to 15 people. You could witness to 14 out of the 15 required. But even if you got full marks for all the other things, you'd only get 74. Now, for a guy like me, I, I, I want to get good marks. That's what I like. And so I thought, man, I'm never going to evangelize to 15 people of this term. So I'm quitting. Because I've really, I'm taking six. I've taken the extra one. I'm going to go to another class. And as I decided that, I found out my other lecture, one of the other non-compulsories, his wife had given a kidney transplant that year, and he's not going to be given that course anymore. So I ended up with five. And I had to, this meant if I was going to get the A that I wanted, if I wanted to get the distinction that I wanted, man, I had to share my faith with 15 people. And so it was one of the most difficult things that I had to start doing. But I remember as I started praying and saying, Lord, open my eyes to see you moving, God started to show me people. I remember praying the one morning because this is what he taught us to do. As you leave, say, Lord, let me see where you are moving and help me be a part of that. And and I remember leaving the house and coming back that day. A typical student was about half past two. I jumped back into bed and had like a, an hour nap. And I remember someone ringing the, the doorbell. I'm ringing our phone. I had never heard it ring. I didn't even know we had a phone because we were renting. And it rang. And I, I went and I, I was in this flat complex and I answered the phone. And the lady said, sorry, can you give me a lift out to Paro? Now, I lived in Kenilworth. It was like a 45, 15-minute drive away. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give you a lift to Paro so I can drop off your bed because she saw I had a bucky. And I put the phone down and I hopped back into bed. And next thing I hear a knock on my door. And I was like, oh, who is it? And I get up, and I, this lady, she was persistent. She's like, I need a lift. And I felt the Lord say, go. So I said, fine, not very happy, hopped in the car. But she was stuck with me in the car for 45 minutes. She couldn't go anywhere. I was giving her a favor, and I got to share the gospel with her. And as I did that, man, and as I did these 15, I eventually did all 15, was my relationship with the Lord had never been as good as it had been as before that. The word became rich. My heart for people started to grow. Why? Because I was doing what God called me to do. Petrol attendants were my favorite. I've got to share the gospel a lot with them. But friends, there's going to be good times, but there are going to be times where I try to share with people and I've got my door slammed in, their door slammed in my face. I have that face for some reason. When we go do door to door, I'm the guy that everyone says no to. Not interested. There are going to be good times and they're going to be bad. But trust me, it's far better to go for it. It's glorious to have that relationship with the Lord. It grows, it blossoms. The, the next, and, and next one I want to uh, say here is that the first enables the second. Because this is tough. I mean, this is a mammoth task we've asked here, but BGs. I know we just love our, our neighbor, but man, we, as we were saying, so we've got some neighbors that aren't very nice. 
And now, God, you're calling me to to be aware, to have my eyes open. So as I'm walking through the shopping center, to stop and speak to someone that I I see, to to be aware. That is is a tough call to make because it might mean we run late for something. It might mean that I have to have an awkward conversation that a person doesn't want to have. But I want to be obedient. But, but man, so it's going, to be, it's going to be tough and it's going to be difficult. There's it also this, the sense of going, Joe, when am I going to have time to do this? When am I going to have my neighbor? Some of you got kids and you're running around like headless chickens as it is. You go to work, you pick them up from school, you drop them off, you have to do homework, you've got sport to do, and then when you have supper and you cook, dinner, oh, when are you going to do that? Well, what about me? What about some me time? When am I going to focus on me? Never mind focus on others. I do have to sacrifice my own personal gain, my own personal. How do I do that? What about me? It is a massive task. But again, the golden rule in which we need to follow, that Jesus says, do unto others as you do, you want them to do unto you. And we must love them like we have wrapped our own skin around them. But friends, I want you to know that you can't do this in your own energy. You can't. Man, we are fickle. We love ourselves too much. That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, because we naturally love us. We love me, and so we naturally run there. We need to depend on God. We, it's, it's, it's wonderfully explained in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Let us read it. It says this. For God has done what, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What is the summary of the law again? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So God has done what we could not do. In our own flesh, weakened flesh, we cannot achieve what the command of God wants, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We just cannot do that. But he says, yeah, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and uh, for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here it is, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the spirits that the righteous requirement of the law might be be filled in us so that we might be able to love the lord our god with all our hearts or mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves who walk according not to the flesh but according to the spirits church it is coming and depending on god that we are able to love our neighbors as we love ourselves to be bold to share the gospel, to do those things. To, and I know how hard this is because some of you might not have raised your hands when I said, do you know your neighbor? And you might have been listening to them, living next to them for 15 years. What's your excuse? I'm going to go say hello to them now. I don't know. It's going to be tough. But depending on the spirit, man, he, he will help you. He will guide you. He will lead you as you do this. As you do this. There's this, there's this incredible thing that John Piper wrote, and I'm going to read it for you. It's a little long, so listen up. It says this. Love God with all your heart means finding God a satisfaction so profound that it fills up all your heart. Love God with all your soul means finding God a meaning so rich and so deep that it fills up all the aching corners of your soul. Love God with all your mind means find in God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guide and satisfy all that the human mind was meant to be. In other words, take 
all your self-love, all your longing for joy, hope, love, and security, and fulfillment, and significance. Take all that and focus it, uh, focus it on God until he satisfies your heart and soul and mind. That you will find, uh, what you will find is that this is not a canceling out of self-love. This is a fulfillment and transformation of self-love. Self-love is the desire for life and satisfaction rather than frustration and death. God says, come to me and I will give you fullness of joy. I will satisfy your heart and your soul and your mind with my glory. This is the first and great commandment. And with the that great discovery that God is never ending fountain of our joy, the way we love others is forever changed. Now, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we don't respond saying, oh, this is threatening. This means myself, my love for myself is made impossible by all the claims of my neighbor. I could never do this. Instead, we say, oh, yes. I love myself. I have longings for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and significance and security. But, but God has called me, indeed, he has commanded me to come to him first for all these things. He commands that my love for him be formed of my love for me, that all my longings for me I find in him. That is, what my self-love is now, it is my love for God. They have become one. My quest for happiness is now nothing other than my quest for God and has been found in Jesus Christ. You want happiness, you want joy, you want satisfaction, it's found in Jesus. And that's why you can run to him and cling to him and still have so much time to love others and give yourself to them because your satisfaction is not in your own time, in what you can do for yourself. yourself. Your satisfaction is found in him. So what are some helpful ways in, in, in which we can make sure that we can do to some practical things that we can do so that we can love our neighbors? So, well, first one is get outside. If you're stuck inside all the time, you're never going to bump into your neighbor. Just spend some time, go get outside, walk, bump into some of your neighbors in your road. Do that. Meet a need. Is there a colleague that's struggling with something? Is there someone that you know of that is um, struggling with a particular need? Meet it. Maybe it's a lift to work. Maybe it's a lift to church. Maybe it's a lift to um, somewhere else. It's something simple. Meet a need. Gives you some time in the car as well. Gives you uh, a, an icebreaker to show your love for them. Um, meet new people moving in. So if you see someone down in your road that's moved in, go introduce yourself. Hi, I'm so-and-so from down the road. Nice to meet you. Break some ice. Invite people over for a meal. We will discuss that in a few weeks. But man, there's something about food that just breaks ice. And it's great to uh, have people in your home. Invite them over. Leverage your kids. Man, it's, leverage your hobbies. Do those things. I, just in my life, I've seen with my, Malachi, he's only a year old, and I've seen how kids uh, create a wonderful opportunity. We have, a, um, we have an antenatal group that started uh, when Alyssa was pregnant, and we've got six people, now only five couples, sorry, that, that once moved overseas. But it gave so much opportunity to share the gospel. I remember last Easter, sitting down, we had a get-together at someone's house, and um, all the ladies and guys were sitting outside, and uh, the one couple's uh, Russian and German, and they don't know anything about Christianity. They are so um, far removed from it. But they asked me, as Easter was coming up, what's Easter about? Oh man, 
What, oh, what's Easter about? Let me just stop and share you for a moment about what is uh, the gospel. Just being able to take that moment and share it because you asked me. I, I, this was just a, a phenomenal time. But all because of Malachi. He wasn't even born yet. He was in Melissa's stomach. But he would be able to leverage those moments. Hobbies. There's a guy, I told you this before with my testimony, he loved surfing. And so he put a group together of people who are keen to surf. We're going to do surf trips. We're going to do a Bible study on a Wednesday. I wasn't saved yet. I thought it was a great idea that I got to go out to Kids Beach and go out to Queensbury Bay. I couldn't drive. I was only 14. And as a result of his hobby and my hobby had a similar interest, I became saved. Mike Brown, another major influence in my life, friend at school, loved rugby. We both loved the Bulls. And so we sat down and we chatted about that. That's how we built friendship. He started inviting me to SCA. Why? Because I had a friendship, hobby. Started going to these things. Use those. Plan events. Uh, invite people to events. Get them to come along. Pray for opportunity. As I said, my lecturer always used to say to us, before you leave every day, ask God to open your eyes to see him moving. Because he's always moving. This is the wonderful thing. God is always moving in people's lives. We just have our blinkers on all the time that we can't see it. He shares a story of one day he went into a bookshop with him and his wife. He's a comic nerd. He's American, so he loves all the comics. And so he went straight for the comic book section. And as he was doing that, there was a guy sitting in, on, in the middle of the aisle, and he literally stepped over him to get to the comic book section in a hurry. And later on, his wife came and bumped him and said, hey, you need to go speak to that guy you stepped over. And he said, why? He's like, well, look at the book he's reading. And the book's title was, Is There a God? He's a lecturer at a university to, at seminary. A wonderful, is there a God? Man, staring in his face, and he was able to stop and sit down with the guy and have a conversation. Hey, I see you're asking some questions. Can I help you? They're constantly moving. Open our eyes. Pray for those opportunities. Pray for them. Talking about praying. Let's do it. But I, I want to I punt our missional course again. We've got this missional course that's coming up. It's going to be some practical ways of discussing it. Man, it's going to be free food. If that at the very least gets you there, come along. It's going to be good. Enjoy that. It's, please remember to sign up. There's sign-up sheets at the back there. RSVP so we can cater for you and make sure that we have food for you. Let us pray. Lord, we are incredibly grateful that... Um, we have a God who loved us so much that you would cross the divide, that you would come from heaven to earth out of love for us, that it wasn't anything that we were in us that attracted ourselves to you, but rather you just loved us so much that you would be willing to come and humble yourself, serve us, forgive us, die for us, all because of love. And so, Lord, we pray that we would become a church that not only loves up well, loves in well, but you would grow us and embolden us and so that we might love out brilliantly. Give us eyes to see you moving, Lord, so that we can see where you're moving in this community, in our friends and our families. Help us to have the conversations that we need to have. So and we ask that we'd have many testimony in years to come of, of this being a, a, a turning point in some of our lives, a, a people coming up and saying it was because of so-and-so that I am here and I am saved. We long for salvation out of this, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.